The Behemoth Brewing Company presents the Department of Conversation with Pat Brittenden. Behemoth, give me something hoppy. Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation presented by the Behemoth Brewing Company. Uh, if you're a fan of good beer, craft beer in particular, and you want to find out more about them, you can head to behemoth, B-E-H-E-M-O-T-H, brewing.co.nz. Uh, if you want to try their wares, just head to shop.behemothbrewing.co.nz. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us again, uh, and appreciate you coming back and having a bit of a bit of a chat with us. Speaking of the, speaking of the uh, sponsor's product, <clears throat> a little bit in the uh, back of the throat there, apologies about that. Hope you've had a good day. Uh, as we listen, as you listen to this podcast, we have just gone through the second day in New Zealand of potential community transmission. Now, the reason I say second day is because uh, we had an incident uh, five, six days ago in the community where COVID got back in. And because of the incubation period yesterday, as we record this, uh, was the first day that community cases could be showing up. No community cases. Great. Uh, today is the second day that cases could be showing up, no community cases, great. So we're uh, we're very lucky. And the podcast you're about to hear uh, with James Nokise is actually, it's uh, we talk a bit about it actually, so it's an interesting one to listen to. James is a comedian and a, and a playwright and a, well, you know, he's a guy you see on stage for all sorts of different reasons, basically. Uh, but he's, he's very intelligent and well thought out. Uh, I feel he's one of those guys who measures his words very carefully before he passes them on. I make an example of feminism very quickly. You'll hear James flips it and says, well, I don't know about two guys talking about feminism, and he's probably, he's probably right about that, and um, chooses his words carefully. You know those people who are in the room who use as few words as possible, but they make the greatest impact? That's what he is. So we get a chance to spend uh, an hour or so with James, which is great fun. But just as a reminder, this episode was also brought to you in part by Beardy Boys Coffee. Beardy Boy Coffee is a new way for you to support this podcast. It's amazing fresh roasted coffee direct from the Dunedin Roastery to you. If you'd like to support the Department of Conversation, then you can head to beardyboy.nz slash doc to make your purchase. There are four different roasts, including decaf, and the beans are sourced from the best coffee regions in the world, including uh, Colombia and Kenya. If you're a coffee drinker and you already buy fresh roasted beans, then maybe you'd consider trying our roasts and support this podcast. Visit beardyboy.nz slash doc to get your beardy boy coffee and help us make the department of conversation and continue to make this content that you're hopefully enjoying well speaking of enjoying uh james nokese a uh, great amount of fun having a chat with him for an hour or so and uh, i hope you enjoy it too As we go live with, uh, I was going to say friend of the show, James. It's not quite true, is it? But friend of previous uh, iterations of previous podcast shows, James Nokise. James, good afternoon to you and thanks for joining us. Oh, good afternoon, Matt. Yeah, I, I, we, my gosh, it feels like almost a decade ago. I think it was longer. I think it was the 2008 election. Because I think I did, for, oh, for people who don't know, me and Jeremy Elwood, and then Chris Brain as well did a podcast, but we only did it in the year of the elections. And I did it while I was working at ZB, so I must have done 2008, 2011, because 2014 I wasn't wow. working there. And I think it was in the first one. There was no Chris Brain when we did did the episode wow. with you. So that's 13, 12, 13 years ago, bro. I, I wasn't even properly back in the country at that point. You must have caught me when I was on one of my sojourns back to New Zealand. From I, would, I was still UK-based then. I, well, I mean, technically, I'm still UK-based now. I just can't escape. <laughs> I have a feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, mm. um, I mean, your bio now talks about you with your multifaceted, but stand-up comedian is definitely in there as one of them. Mm. But I have a feeling at that era, you were sort of just kind of going, nah, well, I'm more of a performer than a stand-up comedian. And you were just sort of kind of developing and getting into it. Would that be right for that era? Yeah, I think I think I was definitely leaning into the pretentiousness of, <laughs> of being a, a Wellingtonian, true and true. So I was, I was like, yeah, I'm more of a I'm more of a writer, I'm more of a, a playwright. I, mean, I hadn't even written my first play in 2008. I was still figuring it out. But I, th I think, uh, yeah, I think what you're leaning to is like I, those were the, like the very early days of me going. I, I think I'm interested in exploring stuff that's not just stand up, um, and that's that's been a cool decade. Yeah. 
Well, and I remember actually, I think you guys were doing a show of the era. Uh, is it Bats in Wellington? And there was like a Friday night show, improv show, and all the, I think I remember it was, you know, and if I'm wrong, it's going to be an embarrassing part of the podcast, but all the public servants would turn up because you guys were doing like a, oh, were doing like a, a bit based around the politicians in the era. Yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't an improv show. It was a it was a play series, and it's still going actually, I'm, I'm, which I'm I'm a little bit proud of, not yeah. massively, because I've I've stepped away from it now. But um, I started it, and it was um, late night satire, and um, yeah, so we uh, we started a a series called Public Service Announcements, uh, which are political plays written very quickly, so to stay relevant to the stories going on. And the reason it was called Public Service Announcements is it was primarily made for public servants, for that particular audience in Wellington. So there were a lot of in-jokes, a lot of stuff that maybe wouldn't be known in the general public so that the public servants could come in and be like, how do they know that? <laughs> um, and, and it just kind of became a cult hit. It just spread all the EAs are kind of like emailing each other, going, man, you should go see this show at Bats. Because we just ripped everyone. We weren't, we didn't, we tried really hard uh, to not lean towards any particular political party. Like we, we really uh, wanted to just rip everyone just to kind of as a pressure release for all the public servants there. Because people from outside of Wellington always wail on the, you know, these bloody Wellington public servants. But most of them are just, man, art students or like people who are just trying to do a job. And then they've got to work for these politicians who keep changing every three or six years, uh, and and so they're you know, they're just doing the best they can. So that's cool. It's nice to think about. Um, I'm not talking about like a in, a in a news way being balanced, but ripping on everyone I think is important, and I think that's what we see in the media in general today. Not so much in New Zealand, maybe more from an international feed. That idea of having um, some someone having the skew and no matter what happens it's, it's it's called motivated cognition no matter what happens they always find a different path to their same outcome i mean we, we talked about it just before we came on it's not a it's not a political thing that's going on at the moment but i just sent out a tweet about um about the lovely hannah tamaki hannah tamaki who's just apparently gone uh pro-choice from her pro-life stance because she uh made a statement which said everything in life is choice uh, make sure you choose for yourself not to be talked into something you are not happy to do. So there you go. Hannah Tamaki is now is now pro-choice. That That's an amazing movement from someone who would not have been that for a long time. And obviously I'm being facetious because she's fucking talking about the vaccine, that she's going to choose well, not to take it. But if it's another kind I'm, of I'm choice, sure. she's very much against it. I'm pretty sure the tithing is still absolutely <laughs> non-choice. Yeah. <laughs> You join Destiny Church, you you are definitely tithing. There is no choice amongst that. But it's, I was just thinking, you're talking about writing quick plays of the era. Um, obviously, something you started that's still going, you're not involved. Now, the, the Tamakis would surely be written about this week if it was that kind of broader thing. You know, this news story about them escaping Auckland and going off. On one hand, on one hand, I do kind of see the hypocrisy of some of the media and I was reading the Herald today that they've highlighted this couple who have got out of Auckland and then later on a different article talks about how 10,000 cars left Auckland on Sunday evening so it's like they're, they're, they're pulling out a couple, a couple who we all love to hate and, and for, the, for right reasons going look at these pricks when actually there is thousands of pricks who have done exactly the same thing who just because they're not controversial and and, and have profile haven't been called out at all. So I see the hypocrisy from the media in there, but also, you know, Aucklanders, you can keep your, your level three inside your borders, please. Well, I mean, it's, I, I think we wouldn't have, we would have had a couple of jokes about it, but I don't know if we would have written an entire scene on the Tamakis. I've, I've always been conscious of, of giving too much air yep. to them. And I've, and I've marched against them um, and, and would still do in a heartbeat. But it's it's about, you know, you're right. And that the the Herald singles them out because they are clickbait, because people love to hate the Tamakis. And and as you say, rightly so. They say stupid things, they do stupid things. They seem um, they seem very plastic in their religious convictions. And there, there were a lot of people that left Auckland. I was not one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm working up here uh, and I'm, I'm stuck, but it's, it's no big deal because I've got friends in Melbourne. I've got friends in London. Uh, I'm, I'm 
technically live in London. So this is a one week in Auckland, you know, as a Wellingtonian, it's the worst, but like in, in the grand scheme of the planet, it's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I, by, I think with the Tamakis and, and people like them, they, they feed off, they, I think what we don't appreciate is their model, their, their publicity model is, is built on, on having articles like that. So you're feeding into the monster a little bit because they will go back to their faithful and say, look how we are persecuted. And they'll use religious language uh, when they talk about themselves to link themselves in the eyes of their congregation closer to Christ. Um, so it's, you know, they're, they're very much aware what they're doing. And I, I, I think sometimes we take for granted that they're, you know, we go, oh, they must be idiots. And, I, and I'm not saying that they're geniuses. I'm saying that they're very manipulative. And I, I think it's, it's on us to, to be aware of the fact that they are very, they're very good at manipulating. And I think their personal success shows that. Yeah, I think you're right. And although I, I've, I'm going to show my hypocrisy now because we're talking about them, I, I put a post up on my Facebook page today kind of saying exactly that, which is, uh, you know, because the Herald ran this piece about Hinatamaki, uh, you know, talking about not going to be taking the vaccine, they have amplified that message from hundreds of Destiny church members to tens of thousands of Herald readers, if not hundreds of thousands of Herald readers. readers so, yeah. It brings about that question about what do we cover. I remember the election last year coming up. I um, I chose not to go near Billy TK. Now I'm. Mm. If someone spoke to him today, he might say I would never have gone on that, but he would have gone to the opening of a paper bag. And um, I chose not to go near him because I just thought I just I'm not interested in helping getting that message out there. Even though it would have been it would have been fucking fun. It would have been. A, I mean, I've talked to flat earthers and stuff. It would have been a fun mm. podcast, but I just made the decision that I wasn't even going to attempt to get him on. Because I didn't want to amplify it. Yeah, I, th I think there's. Um, I think that became a genuine question. On the one hand, he was leading a political movement slash party, and it was an election. On the other hand, there's no chance of him getting elected. The numbers clearly reflect that he is, by all accounts, a charismatic but still fringe um, party leader. So why are we giving him more airtime? Than say you know back in the day the McGillicuddy serious party like why are we why are we giving a a weight to to his credentials that doesn't need to be there when you could score him by having you could have like joke parties or minor parties and French parties and have him there because what people began to do was associate him and to a degree Hannah Tamaki as serious party leaders like their like as though their parties had a chance and of course they just go back to their faithful um and their respective <laughs> religions so to speak and go well look we're being taken new zealand herald's writing about this you know tv3's putting this up like we must be you know you can be proud you're part of a serious party we're not a joke party whereas if you put them in a minor parties debate and it's like no disrespect to Aotea Roa legalized cannabis party mm -hmm. but you know if it's that kind of level of fringeness, then you know. I, I think. I think to a degree, it, it de-escalates um, what they were doing. It also speaks to something that uh, talking about fringe it speaks to something, and maybe it's me being thankful for our parliamentary electoral process because you get someone as fringe as Billy TK in America, called Marjorie Taylor Greene, and then she gets in, and she has, is is literally in at the seat of power, and I believe there are was it 11 or 15 of people who are either in the Congress or Senate who have bought into the QAnon type thing. So that can only happen under the system that they've got of electing people under our system. And I guess with our population, the fringe and the minors don't have the chances necessarily to get in. You have to have a significant base behind you to become a, uh, you know, to sit at the table, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, you've got to get, you know, we've got that 5% threshold. Um, and then, of course, the only other way to do it is to get like a properly elected, is to win your seat. Um, so, in in that regard, it is a lot easier. I mean, there is the, and I, and I can already sure some of your listeners are going, oh, but what about the list? And they're absolutely right. That is the vulnerability within MMP is that you do. I mean, we have had a, a few people who are pretty out there, 
um, on some of the lists. Uh, but again, that comes down to the parties themselves. And there is an allowance when it comes to list MPs for the party to regulate that um, almost immediately. So there are there's still checks and balances in place. Because, uh, you know, you, I mean, you look back on the history of MMP and there's been some real wildcats in there um, since 1996. And, but we, we have found ways to sort of mediate their voices. And to a degree, I, I mean, I, it, there is something to be said for MMP allowing people with those voices to be politicians with very little influence and power to placate the, the parts of the population who have those views. There is something to be said for that um, because you get, otherwise you get them going underground and you get them feeling completely disempowered and radicalizing them. And that's when you get stuff like what happened with the U.S. Congress going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I guess within the system that we've got, you've got um, sort of uh, a party to keep you in check. I'm thinking about Jamie Lee Ross straight away, that when you do go off the deep end and to one step too far, the party eliminates you and then you're gone. I used to think that 5% was too high. I used to think they should mm. come down to about 2%. Because you know what? 2% of the population, that deserves representation in, in, in government. That's fine. But actually watching America and watching the Marjorie Taylor Greens of this world, most kind of think, yeah, I think I'm okay at 5%. And then those people with the fringe uh, beliefs, as you say, I mean, look at the Green Party as a perfect example. I think most people would agree they were far more... Uh, uh, activist, maybe at the in their origins, and now they've moved to being maybe uh, a bit more. And I don't, I'm not saying this in a belittling way, but more professional and corporate, and you know, maybe uh, more centrist for the green world uh, than perhaps they were at the start. But they still had a seat at the table based on the the bigger party. And you know, you you had people like Sue Bradford getting through the so-called anti-smacking bill, and you had Nandor walking into the chamber in his hemp suit, and you had those people there, and it's just evolved into what it is now, which is probably a more uh, well-functioning political party. Not to just, I'm not, I'm not saying that to disrespect those that were, but it's evolved. Yeah, I mean, Matilda is still down in Dunedin, bro. You you better watch yourself. Living in a castle, absolutely it's a great house, man. <laughs> It is, like, it is a great, that's what I think. Like, it's like, it's not a castle if you like, like, I, I live in London. I know what a castle looks <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, really yeah. a castle. Yeah, it yeah. is a superb house. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and it's a New Zealand house. So yeah, okay, well, she lives in the castle. Yeah, there's no going to be no central heating. She's going to be dealing with mold, heat, gonna prob probably going to have eczema because everyone in New Zealand's got eczema because we don't do central. Like, <laughs> I do find that ridiculous. I do like what you're talking about though, because it's, I think the Green Party are, are an insolent example of, and the weird thing is Labour's done this as well. They started off, you know, they were all unionists and they've evolved uh, and as their understanding of how to be the most effective within the Westminster system. Like the, their politicians have evolved. And the same thing happening with the Greens because it is all about results. So, you know, it's, it's finding out, you start with these activists, these amazing act, generational activists um, and then the next generation comes through and they've got those activist roots. They've got those activist elders, but they have a much clearer understanding of how to be more effective within the Westminster system. And I know she gets used a lot, but Chloe Swarbrick is a great example of that because I still remember her mayoral campaign. You know, it was really something to watch it from outside New Zealand because, you know, it's it had activist roots. You can look at the way in which she garnered support and you go, that's, that comes from an activist background. Um, and, and yet she's very much a Westminster politician in terms of the, the style and the way that she understands the system. Very acute, very knowledgeable on the Westminster system. And it's transferred into her winning Auckland Central. You know, I mean, a Green MP is the MP for Auckland Central. It's pretty cool. Eh? Yeah, it's a pretty cool situation. Um, I was just, oh man, I was just, I just bought something up to to talk through and it's just, as it always happens, just popped out of my head straight away. <laughs> never mind, never mind. I've just got, actually, I'll show you this. I just bought up, you know, when I was talking about her uh, castle, I wasn't, it wasn't put in a disrespectful way. It was actually kind of a cute way because if you have a look there in the corner, there it is. Look at that beautiful thing. Yeah. With, a, with the turret great at the top house. and, Yeah. Only a New Zealand would have 
house with a turret be called a castle Bless <laughs> right. uh, it's interesting because we're talking about politicians who maybe political parties who maybe start more radicalized my word right and then move towards uh, a more westminster a more serious a more effective way of doing things someone said something to me the other day that's sort of the opposite you know there's that old saying about us as people there's that old saying that if you if you don't have a heart when you're young sorry if, you, if you're not liberal when you're young you don't have a heart if you're not um, conservative when you're old you don't have a brain Someone explained that to me in a way that I went, that actually makes a lot more sense to me now because it's not that people are conservative when they're older. It's that it seems that every generation that comes after us is more liberal or is more progressive than the one before it. So so to a 18-year-old, a 40-year-old who's been a Labour voter all their life, who's progressive, who's left, whatever, seems to be conservative and the further we go through the generations, the more progressive, the more left-leaning, the more left-activist those next group of people get. And I think you can see that. Like if you got into a debate, and we don't need to, about the feminist movement at the moment going from the you know from from first-wave feminism to second-wave feminism, uh, where they you know, convinced the world that gender was a social construct to third-wave feminism now with the whole, um, you know, uh, how, how to define women and the third-wave feminists are calling the second-wave feminists kind of transphobes and that kind of stuff. It's, it's got more progressive and it's gone more that way. So those that come before are more conservative than those that come after. And I think that kind of makes sense to me, actually, that that seems to be what happens across generations. So it's not that I'm more conservative than my... It's not that I'm conservative. It's that I'm more conservative than my kids. And that seems to be what happens, which is the opposite of what we're talking about the parliamentary system, because they've gone from being, you know, radicals to being uh, more corporate, for want of a better word. Well, I think let me use the Pacific as an example, so that we don't end up being two guys in their middle ages talking about feminism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, in, in, so in the in the Pacific, the it's the job of uh, people, sort of my generation, so guys in their 30s, 40s, we're sort of the bridge between the elders and the youth. Yep. And I feel like that's something that we don't necessarily apply properly in our Western culture because you are correct in that you're always you're always going to be more conservative to younger generations of the left. And I think we should be clear of the left. There's, there's young, hard conservatives coming up as well. They're like, you guys are idiots. I'm, I'm, I'm skipping the step. I'm just going straight to And that's cool. Like, it's, you, you, you're finding out who you are and you're understanding that. But we're, we're meant to, I feel, us in our, our 30s and 40s are meant to translate and instead, we're kind of just doing our own thing. And because we're not there to be a bridge, you do get older, older people going, you know, oh, these young people, and younger people going, oh, these older people. And we're in the position where we can understand where the older generation is coming from, not necessarily agree, but we can empathize with the frustrations they're having and we are not so removed from a 20-year-old's mm. life that we can't empathize and understand the fire and the righteousness you have when you're politically active in your 20s and, and how hard it can be to hear older people. And I think that's something that we need to be more active in because, again, it's about the end result. You know, when you're in your 30s and 40s, you have the horrible realization that things won't necessarily end in your lifetime. And when you're in your 20s, you're like, man, we can do it. We can, we can beat racism. We can do that. And then you get to your, you know, you get a bit old and you go, oh, this is so systemic. I have a greater understanding of the trauma of this stuff, that it was naive not arrogant, naive to believe that this could happen so quickly. And you can have quick wins, but in terms of the end result, like you get, okay, this is a slower process. 
And you don't want to deflate younger politically active people because you don't want them to go into apathy. But it's just being able to hear and absorb and go, yep, I hear you. I mean, I don't care if some like young lefty calls me. Like I've, I've had people telling me like as a comedian, they're like, oh, well, you're on the right. Obviously, you're in a neo, and I'm like, me? They're like, yeah, man, yeah. And I'm like, what is it? And it would be like some joke they heard me do about like Jacinda or Chloe. And I'm like, I don't, do you get what that joke was about? And they'll go, oh, you just, just, you're just going after lefty politicians. And I'm like, man, I'm going after the government and the sitting MP in the largest city. Like if, you know, and it's not easy to, to go after this government and these people during these times. You, 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 you've got to actually school up and go, where are the gaps? What can we do? Or just not do it is the other thing. Like, that, that's that's a scary thought though or just not do it if you're talking about not going after them because i wonder and let's not get it it's, first of all i was going to say I, I love what you've just said about i mean I, i'm gen x i'm assuming you're close to gen x if you're not gen x uh, i think i'm i think i'm uh early millennial cuspy um yeah. but uh it's it's there's the 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 war babies and the boomers are older than me and then there's gen x and then there's y and z millennial and gen z so the Gen X is right in the middle, and I think Gen X at the moment is running the world, because you yep. think about all the, uh, I mean the the boomers own the houses, fine, uh, but Gen X are the ones who are the CEOs and who are the you know the, that kind of forty through sixty age group sort of thing are, are running the world, and I like the idea that as you were talking about it, I kind of think about a translator mm. that you know like my father's about to turn eighty one, um, and I can translate maybe to those younger than me what his generation i may not agree with lots of things or we may have differing opinions but i can see it and i can understand mm. it and i can go well this is what they mean mm. um so and, and ironically actually of those five groups gen x is literally smack dab in the middle because there's Z, there's mm. millennial there's x there's boomer and there's war babies and there won't be anything beyond that at the moment because war babies will be obviously born in the 30s and 40s so basically nothing else left after that so it's interesting that x is right in the middle and i like how the way you talk about as a you didn't use the word conduit but it almost is as a conduit between it's like that bell curve it's like you know um y z x and then mm. so yeah it's an interesting thought the reason i use the pacific as an example is because um and I, I don't mean it's in a, a, a disparaging way and i know it's not a, a, a complete truth but we still function with the greater family unit, the family as a village. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whereas your, your Western European nuclear family means that you don't necessarily have four generations in the same house. Yeah. You know, you don't have all those different types in the same house because when you do have them in the same house, when you grow up with them, then being a bridge between generations is just a natural part of the family dynamic. Whereas if they're spread out over several households, and you're only contacting each other by phone or email, you don't get that face-to-face. -face. You don't get used to talking in a face-to-face -face with each generation. I think, I think that's where a lot of the conflict comes in from and the frustration because I think deep down people don't want a conflict with each other, but they get frustrated and, they, and it's just inexperience. There's also that element of understanding as well. I mean, I would think, and I and I didn't grow up with grandparents in the house, but if you mm. grew up with grandparents in the house and you were a teenager, you'd see mm. the difficulties of being 80 or 70 or however old grandparent was. You'd see mm. the extra work that mum and dad would have to put in to help and look after, you know, grandma or granddad sort of thing, and it would give you a different understanding of that generation and that world as well. As you say, mm. spread over several houses, you don't see how difficult it is for granddad to get ready in the morning because of because mm. of his age and that, and so less understanding. I think it's I think it's essential. I think community is essential. It's something I try mm. my best to to kind of engender in in the world I live in is is to have community as much as possible, um, inviting people in as much as possible. I've got two boarders that live with me, and part of that was I was. I'm separated from my my kid's mum, divorced actually. We've finished, um, but we still live in the same neighbourhood, and the kids go between houses. Um, but I was sitting in my house and had like four bedrooms empty, 
and I and the reason for getting borders wasn't necessarily because I, you know, wanted a, a ton amount of money. It's not that at all. It's that I had a resource to offer, and it was mm-hmm. like people can use this, and people need to use this, and that was the that was a driving force behind it. I've got a girl who comes and works my gardens because she grows flowers and sells them. I've got a fucked back. And so I said, if you want to use my gardens, just come and go as you please and use my gardens, grow your flowers and sell them. How much do you want for it? Nothing. Just just do it. You're, you're saving me having to weed the, the five gardens I've got. So trying to build that community and make sure it's a part of one's life, I think, is is an essential part to, to life in 2021. If you think about, like, people talk about New Zealand doing well, I feel that's something the Prime Minister tapped into. You know, that team of five million concept is about going, we're not going to do this as individual cities. We're not going to do this. And, you know, I think that's what the latest Auckland outbreak has strained. It's actually testing us and going, okay, it's one thing when we're all doing a national lockdown, but when it's an isolated city, are we still a community? Are Mm. we still of that mindset? You know, or is it just something we do in a crisis? And I think that's an important thing for New Zealand to figure out going forward. You know, I think we've had this moment where we have worked as an entire country with with still room for people to object, people to, you know, still have fringe moments, people going, I'm not going to do this, still have those voices and have those voices in the media, mm-hmm. but but still be able to, in the end, go, we are a community and this is what we do. And I think that's that's more than anything else. I actually think that's the thing that New Zealand does for the world. Like I've always said, we... The hilarious thing about New Zealand is we try to be a world uh, power. And we can't because we don't have any power. But we can be a world leader. And in that leadership, we have power. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. And I think that, I mean, you, you can see people who have changed the world. Sometimes they're a single person who's changed the world. So the equivalent of a single person you know, a, a Dr. Martin Luther King starting as a single person and growing a movement could be a small country growing a movement, mm. you know, if you're looking on the world scale. So I, I think that, and I think that although, you know, touching wood, knocking on anything around there, not arrogant enough to say that we're not going to have it back in our community, I think the world is looking to New Zealand at the moment um, with the COVID uh, situation mm. as an example <laughs> of what could and should have been done in other countries. I don't buy any of that. Oh, they're an island nation. It's different. No, no, we're a nation with borders that happen to be wet. Every country's got borders. Other countries could have done it had they had the desire and the, and, and the uh, I don't know, the fortitude to do it. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's very interesting with Britain. You know, it's, uh, it was, I'm also a British citizen. And um, they spent so long with Brexit going, we're going to close the borders. We're not going to let anyone in. <laughs> and then COVID happened. And they and they didn't close the borders, yeah, and they yeah. still it's like, but guys, that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then I, you know, I'm doing. I don't want to throw disparity on any of my colleagues, but I'm doing, you know, uh, things like this. Like, you know, it's, a, it's like a Zoom gig. It's in the UK, and I'm seeing friends, and it's great to see them because I've been in New Zealand unexpectedly for a year now. This is the longest consecutive amount of time I've spent in New Zealand wow. uh, in my adult life because wow. I'm a traveler. I yeah, love yeah. traveling. Um, not necessarily the best for your career, but mm-hmm. a fun way to live. And I, I'm talking to these guys and I'm like, oh, like, is, are, you, are you doing all right, man? Are you doing okay? And they go, oh, actually, it was good. I managed to just slip away for a quick holiday in Portugal before they locked down. And I'm like, what, what was that sentence? Yeah, You're one of the smartest political comics I know. How? And like you say, it's, I think I don't buy the island nation thing because there are other nations that are islands. And it's, it's not, it's about going, what, what does the community need? I and I think Britain's a big example of making that community, because there are beautiful communities in the UK, but it's really that focus on the individual household. I went and saw Russell Howard when he came to Dunedin. I was lucky enough to do a podcast with him as well, but I went and caught a show when he came into Dunedin. And um, yeah, he was, he was glowing of, of the, the people of New Zealand and he made it, and I think he's finished a tour now, so I can share one or two of his jokes. It's okay, although it's always a horrible thing to do. Um, but he starts the joke, he starts the show with talking about Jacinda and talking about how Jacinda says, get into your fucking house. And all of New Zealand goes, okay, and just walks into our houses and stays there, sticks their head out after four weeks, can we come out? And Jacinda says, no. And we go, okay. Um, so there's this element of um, 
not subservience or submissiveness, but certainly, um, you know, it's the opposite of America. And I've been saying for a long time, one of the problems with the American, um, you know, don't tread on me, you know, have my freedoms, my all this, is that you can't then tell someone to go into their house because they're like, well, fuck mm. yourself, I'm an American, I'm free, don't tell me what to do. Whereas in New Zealand, obviously, maybe to use an old phrase, it's a bit more of the British in us, a bit more polite, maybe, maybe, that for that first one, and especially, we kind of said, okay, we'll, we'll abide, you know, we'll abide by what you're doing. And I think whether it was intentional by us all or whether it was somewhat a, an accident that we just mm. kind of did what we were told, then we've seen the last 12 months with, you know, what is it, 45 of those weeks being basically free from COVID and a few hiccups along the way. Say again, because I don't want to sound smug, you know, we have lots of people from the UK and the US watching this podcast or listening to this podcast. I would expect to see COVID in our community again. I'm not saying we've got it solved, but thus far, we've done pretty well. And they've also told us, like, no, like that, I think that's the important thing. The government hasn't strutted per se. And I, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people who disagree on that. But what I mean by that is that they haven't been coming out. They're going, we beat COVID, like, say, Boris Johnson did. <laughs> um, <laughs> when they announced the vaccines, like, we've done it. We've beaten 10,000 people died on that day. Wow. Like, that's insane. On the same day, he's announcing we've beaten it because they've got a vaccine. He's like, we and 10,000 people are dead. We had no community cases. We went to level one. And even as we went to level one, Ashley Bloomfield's out there going, hey, guys, it is going to come back. Like, this is great. We're going to do our best. But please, it will come back. And a bit like the All Blacks going in with a big lead at halftime, we got a little <laughs> bit cocky. We, we took our foot off the gas a little bit. I guess and the it French. comes back. Yeah. Yep, against the French. Um, COVID, the French of, of virus. Yeah. The, the, the COVID is the, the, the French virus of the world. Um, uh, but not start there, or else Trump will have a new, it won't be the China virus anymore, it'll be the French oh, virus. But well, yeah, I mean, but, but the same thing, you know, it'll be, I mean, 15, beautiful, it'll be 15 cases down to zero shortly. Just, mm. and unfortunately, that person, this person here, um, and... The attitude in America, it's its like, you know, I often say this, that your your greatest strength is often your biggest, your biggest hang up as well. You know, like, so what you're very good at is often the thing that holds you back. And I mean, you just talked rugby, you know, the, the Aaron Smith, his greatest skill is the ability to pass that ball and get it off the ground. Now, if he tried to play prop, that skill would be a hindrance to him. It wouldn't work for him at all because that's not the skills that he needs. Um and I think that thing in America about don't tread on me and America freedom, land of the free sort of thing, this is the time that does not help. The time where you actually need to go, you know, guys, just suck it up and get in your house. This is this is the time where that has actually, well, as we sadly know, caused 500,000 plus deaths now. I think, you know, it's, it's funny because you go, oh, it's quite a British thing. And I go, well, it's quite a Pacific thing. But of course, it's New Zealand. And so it's that wonderful combination. I mean, yeah, you look yeah, at Dunedin, yeah. you know, there's those deep Scottish um, roots. And one of the reasons I've always loved going and doing the Edinburgh Festival is because I love performing New Zealand stories to the Scots because they're colonized as well. And they mm. can't, you know, big working class uh, background there. And of course, they came to New Zealand. And so it's that wonderful thing of the other side of the world and yet so familiar. And I, I do feel like, there is a common language in those communities and those, those different ethnicities that are very community-based and have those roots um, where you can tap into it and go, hey, guys, this is a community situation. This is a, this is a thing we, we can't go ISO um, on this. We, we, you know, we've, we've got to do this as a team um, or it's not going to work. And yep, we've got the results, but we didn't know we were going to get the results. We hoped. And like, you know, we had to we had to take a little leap of faith that this was the right thing. And, and people were like, we don't know if it's the right thing. And then it worked. So we've kept at it. I think that's one of the things we're seeing now. I, I just had a conversation with someone in Auckland, had a half hour catch up with someone. And they were like, oh, you know, Auckland lockdown again. Why can't we have, you know, some of these 
more of more of the MIQ establishments around the country because then like we don't want this to get out anywhere but if it was to get out in Tauranga then Auckland didn't have to shut down and then it was to get out in Auckland like it would spread the the shutdown mm. around and I think there's a it's not a complacency but it's like a I'm starting to get tired of this I'm starting to get tired mm. of shutting down I'm starting to get tired of going into yeah. this but I've, I've been saying for a long time that our level one ability has been a mix of good management and good luck. I mean, that yeah. first lockdown was good management. They they messed up at the borders and they weren't looking after their border people well enough. That was good luck that they didn't mm. bring another, you know, a, a yep. massive amount of virus in. And I just felt after this last one, after that 21-year-old went to the, to the gym in particular, and other places, and the two mums are walking together. Everyone knows the story without beating up on them. Mm. I kind of had this this guttural, horrible thought that maybe our luck's run out. You know, yeah. we, we've lost that luck element. But two days of no cases, I'm just my I've got everything crossed. Kind of going, let this just be one last bit of luck because we're so close to the vaccine. Absolutely. Then and if we get we'll it, get there. If we if we get it, like if we get through this period, we come out of lockdown. Then in a in a very strange way, what a gift! Mm. Because no one's going to the fucking gym after this. <laughs> no mums are gonna like because we've got you know. And you're right, it's luck. We've got the precedent without the punishment, which is 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 absolutely blind luck. But you need a bit of luck to survive an apocalypse. Yeah, well, it's it's like the 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 greatest the the people who have scored their greatest number of runs in cricket. They've had an innings where they've got two hundred and fifty. They've probably also been yeah. dropped twice along the way. Yeah, but they totally. but but you, French, but you still French get to the yeah, yeah. You, you still see the score at the end of the day that they scored two fifty. You don't see oh they were dropped twice and there was a an LBW yeah. they should have gone out on. Yeah, no one. Yeah, no one talk. No one's talking about McCullum's three hundred with like a little asterisk saying, yeah. "Oh yeah, but he could have got out a few yeah, times." Yeah, 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 yeah. There's always there's always that element of, of luck along the way. And I guess once we get to the end of this week, I don't know the numbers of this. It would be interesting for someone to know. We should we should we should text Tova. She seems to ask all the hard questions. Um, <laughs> is that once we get to the end of this week, I wonder if all the border and facility people will be vaccinated? Because obviously, if we get to the end of this week. And we've we've managed to squeak through in the community, and all those most at risk people have been vaccinated. That feels a lot more secure, because yeah. it's the at risk people. Once they are vaccinated, it feels to me that we can then squash it in the country until everyone gets done. Because that's where the that's where it's coming through. It's coming through those at risk mm -hmm. situations, at risk people. So I wonder how close to all of those people getting finished we are at by the end of this week. Mm. I mean, it's, and it's, you, you've got to just keep an eye on those moments, those little goals, because I think otherwise you go a little bit out of your mind because, it, you know, it's, I, one thing I have to keep telling you know, a few of my friends, are, these are, these are strange times because I'll see them begin to stress out or begin to get, you know, really heightened over, or they'll read um, a headline overseas, just a simple headline, and you'll just see them begin to spiral. I think the mental health term is catastrophizing. Yep. And, um, and, and they're not someone who would normally do that. And so it's just going, hey, bro, don't forget it's the apocalypse. And that's like just a little <laughs> runoff gag. Hey, bro, don't forget it's the apocalypse. Yeah. And just then go, oh, yeah, because we haven't had it so bad in New Zealand that sometimes we forget that, you know, we are, I mean, we're a world community. So, yeah, America's messed up, but that affects us. And Australia's had its problems and that affects us. And so the world isn't normal, even though we talk about back to normal. Normal's level one, and that's not normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so normals, whatever level zero would be. Normals, uh, normals, what June of two years ago? That's normal. Yeah. Like we've had a couple of deaths in my extended family. Oh, I'm sorry um, about that. But but everyone has. But everyone has. You know. But like, and, and that's the thing. And they're overseas, and you can't go. You know, you can't go. You can't. You got a you got a video in. Um, you know, and you're watching your uncle cry with ten people because that's all that can be there. Yeah. And that's the thing is that you like that's what's normal. It's not Pat. It isn't normal to wake up every morning, make your coffee, and see how many people have died. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not normal, mate. <laughs> or 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 go. Oh shit! I forgot. I booked my podcast for one o'clock today. I should have done it for one thirty so I could have watched the the COVID yeah. update. That's not normal. 
yeah, that's not normal, you know. It's and, but it's also the new normal, yeah. And it's going to be normal for a lot longer. And you hear that when people talk about opening up and talking about, and it's like, oh, we'll be back, we'll be back in July. It'll be all happening, and you go. I I just don't think it is, mate. I think um, this is such a nice way to segue into your podcast as well, because I, I've explained the story a couple of times on this pod, this podcast. So I won't do it again. People can go back and have a look on my on the uh, like on my Instagram as a place you'll find the story um, that I had a bit of a uh, I wouldn't say a complete meltdown last year, but I was at a an event. One of my children was doing a stage show, and they did a review of the year, and they played that noise that came in in March last year when we were going into level four and they oh, played right. the exact audio and something in me happened. And I realized there and then sitting in this auditorium that there was shit yeah. I hadn't dealt with. And I, I'm always very clear to say, I'm not saying it was a full on panic attack or PTSD, but there was something in me that was like, Whoa, this is, this is, oh, yeah. this is, this has impacted me more than I'd actually acknowledged. And it was the acknowledgement of it that enabled me to then move forward and one of the things I was doing last year, and I'm still kind of doing it this year, is is not just being kind to one another, but it's being kind to myself. And yeah. my my quote for last year was, you know, one success in 2020 is worth 20 successes in any other year, because there was yeah. so much that wasn't going well for for people and for the country and for businesses and for relationships. That one thing going well was worth 20 things in a quote unquote normal year. And um, yeah, it's been something that I've I've held on to. You've got a um, a much uh, a much a, a much uh, I was going to say successful. I'm not quite sure of the word. <laughs> it's been it's been lauded a much lauded it's lauded much it lauded podcast. Eating fried and chicken in the shower, eating fried chicken yeah. in the shower with RNZ nominated for a Voyager Media Award and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and I'm and and basically it's talking about mental health. And inviting people into your conversation. So tell me a bit about it. Tell me a bit about the podcast. And I'd love to relate it to, you know, what's going on now. And as you just said, talking about being stressed out at this current time with what's going on in the world. I'll give you the quick rundown, which is that I I had my own mental health break. I had a a breakdown uh, a few years ago. And, um, and, a friend of mine came and got me. I got off the plane from the UK and I was, I was fresh off some very heavy trauma uh, there. And uh, we had one coffee and he said, oh, you're not staying with your family. Oh, uh, what do you mean? He said, you're going to come live with me for a couple of weeks. You're going to get the Xbox. You're going to sleep on my couch. We're going to hang out. We're going to play. Like, you're not putting your family through. And I wasn't being mean or nasty. I, I was, I was, if anything, I was quiet. But he just said, no, I can see something. So we just hung out and I, I, I was going through, I was processing, doing that kind of trauma maintenance. And I ended up eating popcorn chicken in his shower. And it just became a running joke that, um, you know, it's like, are you going to shower to eat the chicken? And I went, yeah. And then I, I caught up with a producer. He said, what have you been doing? I said, to be honest, mate, I've just been eating fried chicken in the shower. And he was like, that's amazing. And um, there was a pitch, pitch session coming up. So we just put in a real stupid pitch where we just wanted, it's about mental health safe spaces. So, you know, it's about how eating chicken in a shower was clearly a safe space for me. It was comfort food. It was a comfort place. Um, horrific environmentalism. And we, the idea was that we would film in a shower and people would come and, and sit there, no running water, and we would just talk <laughs> about their mental health situations and what their safe place was and and things that they'd learned and then we have a wonderful clinical psychologist Saab Jahal who has written a book on mental health and lockdown <laughs> during lockdown wow because we've had a bit of time between seasons yeah yeah uh, very productive but I would do these little sessions with him afterwards and it wasn't to diagnose our guests it was very important we didn't do that it was more I wanted to make a series so that a listener who maybe is having their own problems or is just curious about it, could come and listen to this lovely chat. But then it occurred to us, they'd probably have questions. They might go, oh, but what do I do if my friend's like this or if I'm feeling like this or why does this happen with our brains? And so I just did these little 10-minute episodes afterwards with Saab where I just figured out some questions and I just said, hey, bro, you're a professional clinical psychologist. Why does your brain do this? You know, What can we do with our mates like 
this. And it's been really lovely, the whole lockdown of just being in these little Facebook messages, people who find it or they find an episode and it just helps them out. And it's, um, it's, it's, we, and we've got some really awesome guests. Like it's really lovely to get people like, um, you know, Haley Holt and, and, and John Campbell and, you know, it's, um, it's not the coach of the silver ferns and then all black and Rose Mutterfeld before she went back to London because wow. she's based over there as well and doing amazing work over there. But talking to her about what it felt like to have got out of London and Survivor's Guild, Susie, Susie's on there. Yeah, she came cool. in, in, the, in the middle of just doing, I, I honestly think Susie and Ash and all those guys should, when it's done, when it's all said and done, they should get, you know, New Year's honors and that, but the biggest ones. And Susie, uh, like, her the the shit that she gets like there's there's no amount of hate mail i can get on um on social media that i will ever you know it when i look at the women in in comedy and and people who i know in the public sector especially the women the stuff that they get the kind of things that they get sent to them on a daily basis yeah you know, anyone who criticizes me for my comedy or for fried chicken or any of that, I just, it's just water off a duck's back because it's amazing to me that someone like Susie can get the daily abuse that she gets and still keep going and still function. Uh, yeah, with- I, I had her, I had her on this podcast. We had a really good podcast. It was really good and informative and yeah. just comments about, you know, appearance and, opinion and uh, like on youtube yeah. it's it's ridiculous and it probably was one of the i'm actually thinking about entering the voyages this year and i don't do the kind of podcast that should enter because i'm not really thematic but actually i've done two or three that have been quite focused on covid and i might put them in for for this year's things from last year and should be one of them because yeah, it was a, a lot of good information and i just thought this is this is gold. This is absolute gold. And all people, well, not all people. That's an exaggeration. But there was a sector of society that all they could do was criticise because of what they thought of or all the judgments they made about her. Unfair judgments, but it's like yeah. it wouldn't matter if it was a talking brick. This person's telling you how to save your life in this current climate. You know, not yeah. you know, that's what matters. And her parents are the UK. Like that's that's staggering to me that she's doing all this for New Zealand. And her parents are, are in the UK going through this. Um, it's the same with Saab. You know, all his parents are over there. Like I've got, you know, aunties and uncles and cousins uh, in the UK, and you know, they're, they're old. And you know, we, I mean, if we got a phone call saying they died, we'd probably have to ask, was it COVID or is it just natural, <laughs> natural causes? <laughs> but you know, to have your parents in the UK and to be over here and still be doing the kind of service that they're doing, I, I mean, I've, you know. It kind of puts. I'm, I'm just getting up there and, and telling people jokes. Although I, I will say this to what you were saying about your experience um, sitting in the in the audience, I, I've had to write a brand new comedy hour um, from the one I was going to do. I was building up this this different show, and I've actually just made a complete hour on lockdown in New Zealand and being in lockdown in New Zealand because I had to because I just started off just a little five minute set talking to people about being in lockdown and just touching on things like you're talking about, like the noises and the calmness of Ashley's voice and <laughs> just Cinder constantly using the word kindness to the point where it feels like your mum's threatening you, you know, like <laughs> these little, and the responses were so visceral and like, you know, when you're not just getting laughs, but the people are nodding their heads and going, yeah, it was almost American the way they were responding. And I thought, well, I've got to do an hour of this, not just for me to get it out of me, but because the audiences, this, it just feels like we haven't fully embraced. That's why my show is called Let It Out, because it's like, I feel that Kiwis are really bad at holding stuff in. And with this kind of elongated trauma, you know, there's an attritional, we talk about mental health, there's an attritional wariness that happens to you at this kind of thing where you just get worn down and you think you're fine and then something happens and you go. And I, I just kind of wanted to make a show to sort of address that as well. So it's a, it's really fascinating to hear how people have dealt with lockdown. Um, you know, this is for people who are watching, they'll see the, the thing I'm showing you. This is from the Dunedin Fringe Festival. Um, uh, 
much more than stand-up comedian. James is also an award-winning theatre maker and playwright who tours the international fringe circuit, as you've just been saying. Um, but it sounds like what you've done, and it uses the word cathartic here, um, covering a whirlwind of topics with skillful ease and exhilarating energy that you have, as it says, brings the full ridiculous of 2020 into focus. So it seems like you know some people... I don't know, have put on weight. Some people have done their garden. Some people do that. And you've written a new hour that's probably going to be pertinent to all of us. And it's, it's just all that I'd love to say, oh, I've because it makes it sound like I sat down and, and, and wrote it and was very productive. I wasn't. I put on weight. I played <laughs> so many computer games. Um, you know, I, you know, it's nothing like being in your late thirties at your parents' place because your flats in London, uh, with with your adult wife, uh, you know, you and your adult, and she's gone off into the woods uh, to go for a bush walk and eat some cold beans, and you're playing a computer game because you're a fully functioning adult uh, who's playing a forty hour. I think I played one game for like a hundred hours. What, what was it? What game? I think it was Fallout. I played Fallout uh... Four. I think. I don't know. I was in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. I had a gun. That was the game for like a hundred hours. And we both just looked at, and you know, that would, that would strain a marriage. That would strain <laughs> anyone's marriage. And I don't normally talk about uh, my, my wonderful wife because um, she's a much better comedian than me. And I, I don't mean that in a, in a cute take the piss way. She's very talented. Um, but also I, we don't, we don't normally do press uh, with each other. Uh, but in this sense, I think it's worth saying, just so listeners understand, that would strain a marriage. That's not a normal thing. But we both wrote it off as mental health in an apocalypse. Like, couldn't leave the house really, except for a little bit. Um, choose when you do it. My hour that I was leaving the house was primarily for shopping. You know, I, I, got, I got to know the late night security staff at the local supermarket so well. <laughs> That we just began chatting to, like I was, you know, I had to be watch my time because we just get chatting and catching up about what the lockdown states were and how good we, things were going. But again, it comes back to community, doesn't it? You know, I, I almost want to put on three shows for the local supermarket because I think those guys were amazing as well. Yeah, frontline workers, eh? The guys that kept us fed and uh, during that whole time. Hey, now tell me, um, the the one we were just looking at. Uh, uh, let it out uh, in Dunedin, 18th, 19th, 20th of March. But you've also got a second show. Uh, tell us about your second <laughs> show for the Dunedin Fringe, 20th and 21st of March. You, you, what is it? You haven't performed for long enough, so you thought you'd do do two at yep. the same time. That's what you're going to get it all uh, out. Absolutely. Uh, well, Valley Imperium's it's, it's a quite a treat to be able to do it because uh, it requires the, the second man in that photo, uh, DJ Don Lucino, who's a, this legend of the Wellington music scene. And um, it's a show we kind of did a couple of years ago, which is like a hip hop um, poetry, like uh, artistic response to Captain Cook's voyage, um, which we only do in like museums. Oh yeah, <laughs> right? I can say it's at the Otago Museum Pacific Cultures Gallery. <laughs> yeah, we like, it's like, we really just leaned into the Wellington pretentiousness of it. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really fun. Um, and just when I realized I was going to be here for a while and we had time, I just called up um, Don Lucino and was like, hey, shall we take another look at the show and, and, and have a look at it? Because we, were, we did always talk about taking it to Edinburgh and doing it in the, there's an amazing Pacific section of the Edinburgh Museum um, with a couple of mates of mine's work in it and was like, we should do it there. And uh, he was like, yeah, and then we... Um, we, yeah, we, we just, we did a couple of performances last year in Wellington and it got a good response and we were like, well, okay, let's take it down to Dunedin Fringe and, you know, start going to Otago and, and, and you know, there's a bit of history down there we can look at as well. Yeah, yeah. So it means you're in Dunedin from about the 18th of March through to the 21st, shows on every night. The second one for Vale Imperium, uh, Koha Donation as well. That's lovely. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, it's, it, it's the kind of thing where, it's not that we don't want to charge people for it, but we feel like it should be, because it's about Captain Cook, because we're doing it in museums, we want to encourage people to come to those places um, regardless. So it's, that's, that's why it's about Koha. Um, eating fried chicken in the shower, as I scroll back to the top of the screen here. The last episode was September last year. Are there more to come? Very hopefully. Uh, the, we are just awaiting word on another season, um, and that has to do with the reorganisation of um, Radio New Zealand and TVNZ 
under old COVID thing. So as you can understand with all the things going on, they've had to restructure uh, where they're allocating stuff. So yeah, yes, I mean, there's definitely people who we want to talk to. Ashley's probably top of the list. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there, but then also there's, there's other people like myself who are sort of in New Zealand and aren't meant to be in New Zealand. And it's kind of interesting to hear their stories. And then just people who, you know, are, similar thing to you my friend who've just down uh, thought they were just trudging along and, and doing all right and then they something happens and they're suddenly you know almost having a panic attack off one sound and yeah just things that we think new zealanders like if we if we can get that mental health story a bit more light it'll help and you know other new zealanders see it as well the 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 kind of wrapping up of the experience i had was that whole celebrate your successes but also I think we as Kiwis, and I think maybe people in general, but certainly we as Kiwis, we often, well, pardon me, we often measure ourselves based on our failures. And my encouragement to people was just, you know, if that's a Kiwi thing, so be it. I mean, that's probably pushing shit uphill. But at least for the for 2020 and 2021, flip it. Measure yourself on your successes. You know, most of us who, who have our own businesses or who do, you know, creative things haven't had necessarily... Uh, the the year we would have liked to have had for various reasons, but some things have happened in our lives which have been great. I mean, I had to move my studio home. I built a studio in my house. It's a pretty fucking good success. I'll measure myself on that rather than losing several thousand dollars having to move it out of the beautiful studio I had in central Dunedin. But I now have a studio in my house. I'll measure it based on my successes rather than my failures. And that would be the encouragement that I'd leave people with at the end of the, when I tell my story. It's like, find something you succeeded in, and no matter how small it is, remember it's worth 20 times the success in any other year, and measure yourself by that. If you, that's and if you I, need to measure yourself at all. You may not need to measure <laughs> yourself. Let me, let me tell you something, Pat. I lost my UK career. I've lost my house, my, my, my flat in London. Um, I've lost family members and I haven't seen my friends, my local community in Brixton and it's old Italian and Polish families who I've been good friends with, who've fed me when I was struggling to get my footholds, um, in the UK and it's hard, man. But, um, my wife, who's in a very similar situation has had a year that we would not have had in any other situation, because we're focused on our careers, uh, to get to know my my family, my mother, right. my wow. Samoan family, um, and to get to see, you know, uh, get to see what the, the love and encouragement of an Ainga can be. And that's priceless, you know. So you're right. you got to celebrate those successes. And yep, there's been, but everyone's had failures. Everyone's had setbacks. Everyone's been affected. And I think in terms of community, we can all, get around and go, we've all been affected, but hey, what's happened with you? You've, you've built a studio in your house. That's awesome. Like you, you found a way to keep going. You're making these episodes, you know. I'm able to work in New Zealand. Um, I'm able to come down to Dunedin Fringe and do shows with friends I wouldn't normally be able to do, see family down in Dunedin I wouldn't normally be able to see. You know, it is. It is about, you know, finding a little bit of light in a whole bunch of darkness. Hey, James, if people want to find out more about you and especially what's coming up, um, where should they go? If you've got a, a, a site, a website you can direct people to, if they want to find out um, more about you being in Dunedin, if they want to come along and check you out, what's a, what's a good place to find you? Just mind me, I lost my website. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to bring no, that up. Right. It's all right. No, it was UK main, uh, maintained. And okay. The poor guy uh, couldn't do it, and that's all right. Uh, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook, and those are still the easiest ways to to um, find me and, and follow what I'm doing. Hey, James, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a blast. Look, I know you're down in Dunedin in like three or four weeks, whatever it is. Dude, if you want to do it again, feel free to come into the studio. I feel like we've scratched the surface. We could go easy for another hour. We're not <laughs> going to do it today. If you feel up to it, you are always welcome. Uh, James Nakise, thank you for joining us today, and uh, best of luck for the Fringe coming up. Thanks, Pat. And if that's real coffee behind you, I'll definitely come to your studio and have some. This is the uh, the coffee that we sell. This is our coffee. Well, Beardy Boy here Coffee. We go, mate. You've got me. I'll, I'll be in shortly. We'll see you in studio. 
Alright team, that's us done and dusted. The Department of Conversation with the Behemoth Brewing Company. Find out more about them, behemothbrewing.co.nz or check out Churley's, C-H-U-R-L-Y-S.co.nz. That's, uh, Churley is their, their character, their, their logo, and he has a restaurant and a brewery that you can actually go and check out for yourself if you're in Auckland. It might be shut at the moment, I'm not sure actually under this current COVID climate, but if you listen to this and you're back to level one or two, then go check out Chili's if you're in Auckland. Uh, this uh, episode was also brought to you in part by Beardy Boys Coffee. It's a new way for you to support this podcast. Every bag of beans you buy puts dollars directly into to the Department of Conversation bank account. Uh, so rather than doing a Patreon or saying, can you give us $5 to make it? We're saying, go buy some coffee and we'll get a Patreon-sized deposit from you. And all you're doing is buying coffee that you'd maybe usually buy anyway. Head to beardyboy.nz slash doc to make your purchase and get your Beardy Boy coffee and help us continue to make the content that is the Department of Conversation. Hey, um, yeah, lots of interesting things coming up. It's a real fast-moving time at the moment. There are several people who have said they're going to come on and committed to coming on, but a lot of them are like today's podcast for example we basically decided this morning we were going to do it this afternoon so what you want to do is go to the facebook page and you want to like the facebook page facebook.com forward slash docnz and doing that uh means you always get up-to-date notifications when guests are coming up so rather than give you a long listening of people who are going to be on the way uh just head to the facebook page and like us follow us and then when people come along we put up an event there and you'll get to see uh, who's coming up when anyway thanks again team stay safe out there especially if you're in an area of the world where covid is um still rearing its ugliest of ugly heads wash your hands hug a loved one watch something on the tally that makes you laugh we have been making sweet sweet love in your ear holes since 2018 we will continue to do so for as long as we possibly can thanks for joining us Hooroo.